Good morning and welcome to these services. So good to see everyone and we're glad for those that are joining us through Zoom and uh, we say greetings to those who will be listening to us on Sermon Audio. I want to wish you the very best of the season. Hope you enjoy a great family holiday. Last Sunday we spent some time looking at the Old Testament under the title of Someone is Coming. And we read a few passages of Scripture in the New Testament about those who had been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Someone is coming is the message of the Old Testament. And we looked at a number of passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that shared about the prophecies of the Messiah coming, the Lord Jesus Christ coming, the Savior of His people coming to this world. Well, today we'd like to spend some time on the subject of someone is here. Someone has arrived. The promised one that would take care of the problem that came upon this earth in the fall of Adam. We uh, look into the scriptures this morning. There are two places that share with us about the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Lord Jesus. And one of them is found in the book of Luke, and one of them is found in the book of Matthew. We'd like to spend some time in the book of Luke today. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we'd like to begin reading with verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. It gives us the the uh, description of why the Lord was where he was at the time, the announcement of all the Old Testament writers, someone is coming, was fulfilled at the appropriate time, the appointed time, at the appointed place, with the appointed woman, the Virgin Mary, with the appointed announcement, and we find that record here in the book of Luke, and some shared in the book of Matthew. So here in the book of Luke we have that God dealt with a pagan ruler by the name of Caesar Augustus, many, many miles away from Jerusalem, and many miles away from Nazareth, and many miles away from Bethlehem, and how long it took for that message to arrive here in uh, uh, the place in Nazareth where Joseph and Mary were living. I don't know, but it took some time. And here it is, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All the world of Caesar Augustus should be taxed. Now, the time that the Lord was born is irrelevant. It's not uh, something that the Lord wanted us to know. Uh, It is not something the Lord has set out in the Scripture for those who were uh, students of the Word of God during the time of the Lord Jesus or prior to that. There's a prophecy made in the book of Daniel that shared uh, uh, close to the right time down to uh, describe the coming of the Lord when he would come. But it's not our business to seek that out. And in fact, there was no month and no day that's mentioned in the scripture. But we do have this that it was at the right time. It was at the time the Lord appointed. It was the time that the Lord had chosen in the covenant of grace and that his uh, son would be born. And it goes out. Uh, on to tell us here that they would uh, should be taxed. Now, this is a different uh, taxation than we think of today. They were to come and to enter in public records the names of the men and their property and their income. This was an enrollment for future taxation. And it must have been so significant that when the word got to Joseph and Mary, it was imperative that they leave even though Mary was great with child, for it goes on to say 
There in verse 2, the taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now all went to the to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now, if I was to have this analogy in my life, I would have to travel back to Lakeview, Oregon, where I was born, where my family was, and there I would enroll for taxation. And here we find that Joseph and Mary both, but specifically Joseph, he is going to go to uh, this place. Joseph, it tells us in verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth to Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. This was the appointed place. Now, Mary is very great with child. It tells us that David, or excuse me, that Joseph, and for that fact, Mary were both related to King David, and it is that which brought out here because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's where he's appointed place to go to be enrolled for this future taxation. He has to enroll as a man, he has to share his property, uh, an amount of a property, and he has to share his income there. Now it tells us that he went, he took Mary with him. Now, uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, and it gives us this information that she was great with child. I don't know how long it took for them to get there. We could probably figure out the mileage and how far a mule or a donkey could, a mule specifically, could travel. Uh, whether she walked or whether she was on a mule, uh, that's insignificant. But she got there, as it tells us, that they got there at the right time. And so it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the city of David, because they were of the house and lineage of David, that uh, uh, she brought forth her firstborn son. Now this is the one that Joseph had word about. The angel came to him. This is the one that Mary had word about. She said she doesn't know how this can happen because she's never been with a man. And the Lord explained to her exactly how this is going to take place. That the Holy Spirit, the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were going to come over her. She was going to bear a son. He would be uh, uh, in the flesh, but he would not have the strain, the DNA. He would not have that of Adam. He would not have that sinful nature. So he was brought forth there and delivered. And uh, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in, in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now I'm convinced, convinced that Mary and Joseph both knew who this was. It was no surprise to them when this baby was born to them because they'd both been informed by the angel of the Lord to know exactly who this was and the name that he would be given. In the book of Matthew it says to, to Joseph, thou shalt call his name Joseph, forgive me, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that word Jesus is the Greek word that we find in the Old Testament for Joshua. Joshua and Jesus are the same name in different languages, and they have the same meaning, Savior. Now he was also, it tells us in the book of, uh, of uh, uh, Matthew, that he would be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. These folks, Joseph and Mary, understood that this, their firstborn son, that Joseph had nothing to do with bringing into this world. He was going to be a faithful husband. He was going to be a faithful father uh, to the Lord Jesus uh, from a human standpoint. He was going to uh, be a, a, a wonderful person in his life, but he was not his father. He was, his father was God Almighty wrapped him in swaddling clothes. 
Now, there was no reason to announce to Mary and Joseph what we find out is announced in the next few verses. They already knew. They knew where he was going to be born. They're with him. They know when he was going to be born. They're with him. They know how he was going to be born. They're with him. And the announcement had already been made to them. That announcement had not been spread to very many people. We do know that Mary's cousin Elizabeth, when she stepped into his presence, that babe in her womb jumped and leaped, and she knew that this was the Messiah coming. But as we follow this out, we find that the first report of the birth uh, that someone is here, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the promised seed, the one that would fulfill Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and every other passage throughout every book of the Old Testament, even as the Lord himself said during his ministry, I'm here, he is here, as he said, Moses wrote of me, Moses spoke of me. Well, here it tells us that there were some some shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, there were In the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, they were not prepared for this message, just like you and I are not prepared for the message of grace. We're not interested in it, but uh, it came. And here, the message of the gospel came to these shepherds that were keeping uh, watch over the uh, flock by night. They may have been believers at this time, but it was such a shock to them to see this heavenly host, and particularly, as we notice in verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, to me, it is more uh, the fear that they had. Yes, it was a great sight, and it was a powerful sight. It was a majestic sight to see this angel of the Lord. But also, it shares with us that under the Old Testament economy, there was great fear under the law. People could not meet the law. People, it was a fearful thing to come into the hands of the law. It was a fearful thing to have the law brought because it was a declaration about the holiness of God. And we cannot keep that holiness. Great fear there. And this, the angel of the Lord came and said, Uh, shares with us in verse 10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for uh, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Now here we have a, a great difference between law and grace. There was grace in the Old Testament, the message of grace, the message of God's sovereign grace in the Old Testament, just like we find it throughout the New Testament. It was delivered in types and shadows and pictures and in messages, and yet Under that Old Testament economy, those who had that brought and presented to them daily uh, and weekly as they went to the synagogue, it uh, could only produce fear. I can't keep this. I cannot keep this. And we find that that was the reason it was given. It was not to be kept. There was not going to be any salvation in trying to keep it. But it was to share with us our desperate need of someone who could take care of the problem. And here we have announced in the book of Luke, someone is here. The promised one is here. Someone is here among us. And for the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to be reading about this one that is here. The promised one is among us. Well, it goes on to tell us here that the, this angel of the Lord says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's the gospel. We have good tidings of great joy presented as we speak through the services, as we speak uh, on Zoom, as we speak to Sermon Audio, we have a message of great joy 
It is a glad tidings to hear the gospel. Now, our natural man does not want to hear it. We have no place for this good news in our natural estate. But when God redeems us or God uh, regenerates us and allows us to know that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, there is great rejoicing. We rejoice in that message that the work was done by the Lord Jesus and it's not expected out of us. Now, we'll be servants of the Most High God and that's our pleasure to do that. But we're not doing it for reward and we're not doing it for payment. So the angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And every gospel preacher, every time they preach, this is the message. To comfort, comfort, comfort God's people and to bring a comfort message. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And we find that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And that every nation, kindred, people, and tongue would hear the gospel. Now, not everybody in every country and every kindred and every tongue will pay attention to it. But God has sent the gospel out and he will have it meet with his people wherever they are. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Now, before we get too far here, did you notice with me what it says there in verse 11? For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Here is the importance, a Savior. David is an important man. He was a great king. He's a man after God's own heart. But this is one that descended from him. This is the Christ. This is the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Messiah mentioned throughout the Old Testament, all of those types and shadows and pictures that he is coming, that he is coming. He's going to come at the appointed time. He's going to have the appointed message brought about him. This message is now here. It is someone is here. The Lord is here. This is the Savior, which is Christ the Lord, is here among you. The one that God had promised. In the covenant of grace, the one that God had promised in the Garden of Eden, the one that God promised throughout the Old Testament writers, He is here. Now when this message is announced, I can just see in my mind's eye that all the Old Testament writers, Moses down to Malachi, all those in between, and all the saints, the Old Testament saints, gathered around the throne of grace in heaven. They've all passed on. They've been absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. They're in the very presence of God, just like anybody else that's ever saved and passes from this life to the next. They're there worshiping the Most High God, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in His presence at the throne of grace. When they heard that glorious announcement said, Praise be to the Lord God Almighty. Our salvation in God has come in the flesh. The fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament pictures and Old Testament shadows is now among us. How glorious that was. Now, it doesn't say that in the scriptures, but I'm just thinking about what would go through their minds when they were privy to the knowledge that the Messiah had come. We find in the book of Matthew chapter 1 there in verse 21, The name should be given, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. What a glorious name. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He, the Lord, he is the sovereign. He is the absolute sovereign, capital L, 
capital O, capital R, capital D. We find that so often in the Old Testament, and that's Jehovah. We have the Sovereign Lord, Lord Jesus, the Savior, and Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, as we find him throughout the Old Testament. It tells us in the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 14, would you turn there, as we think about someone is here, the, the message, the, the statements that are brought out in Scripture, here in John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. What a glorious union. God and the flesh united in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone is here. The promised one is here. The one that came to die for his people is here. The one that's written of by uh, Isaiah and Isaiah 53, he's here. He's among us. He's going to perform many miracles. He's going to raise some people from the dead. He's going to have many times. He's going to be preaching the gospel. He's going to be sharing the word. He's going to be uh, presenting the difference between law and grace. He's going to bring attention to the Pharisees and the lawyers on how wrong they are in interpretation of the scripture. And most of them didn't interpret the scripture, but they lived by the uh, tradition of the fathers, tradi their tradition added to the scriptures like so often happens today. What a statement it makes about there in the book of Romans where it says we're enmity against the Lord, enmity against God. And that is never so apparent as when people start talking about the word and adding to the word or taking away from the word or changing the word to please them. Enmity against the very word of God how declarative that is of natural man's heart. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full and grace and truth. God in our nature, yet without sin. He's here. He's here. And the gospel message that those angels brought out, that angel, angel of the Lord, and then the rest of the heavenly host declared, the gospel message, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It is not a message of fear, but it's a message of great joy. We're not presenting you the, the, the necessity of the law again. We're telling you that there's the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the Savior, that will lay down his life a ransom for many. There is great reason to fear the law. For it is the holiness of God declared, and we're unable to meet God's standard of perfection. But there is one who did keep everything, every standard, and every word of the law. There is reason to have great joy in the gospel. Sinners are made clean by the shed blood of Christ. The reason for this great joy we find unto you is born this day a Savior. Would you join me over in the book of Isaiah for just a moment? In the book of Isaiah chapter 9, we have this wonderful prophet who had so much to say about someone's coming. And then we read here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 16 that the one who would come, the one who is here now as we've just read about it here in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The scripture says, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now there is speaks about the flesh, the body that the Lord would inhabit, but it also tells us that the one who was indwelling that body was far more ancient, the ancient of days. 
The Son is given. The Son of God is given. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Eternal Son of God. But here, for a season, He would be have indwell the, the body that was prepared for Him, the body that God gave Him, and grew in the womb of the Lord, of the, of the Virgin Mary. Uh, this one, this child, that it says, it goes on to say, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, just to meditate upon those names that are brought out in that passage of Scripture. In fact, really, they should be hyphenated. This is not many names, but this is his name that uh, shares... Um, uh, about his birth and about his coming. He's the Savior that was to come. And it tells us here also looking in the book of Isaiah in chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 as we just think about for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And this is declared in the Old Testament many times that we're just going to stop by here in the book of Isaiah for a, uh, three or four readings about him being the Savior. Here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, and there in verse 3, it says, For I am the Lord, thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. What a declaration that is. And now, as we read the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of John, we have someone is here. The Lord Jesus has come. The birth has brought him into the world. He's going to grow up. He's going to be circumcised the eighth day. We're going to find him in the temple at age 12. We're going to find him later, coming down about uh, uh, 30 years of age when he was baptized by John. And then he has that three and a half year ministry declaring to all that he came in contact with that he is the Son of God. Many people found great fault with that, but the Apostle Peter sums it up for the church. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're here right now. We have found him who Moses wrote about, is what we find in another place. Here it tells us in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. The very valuable ransom that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of Matthew, or excuse me, book of Isaiah, the verse 11 of that same chapter Verse chapter 43, we have here in verse 11, it says, I, even I, am the Lord, that, that's Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. Besides this one, that it was announced, someone is coming, Old Testament, someone is coming. Here we have him in and among us, here on this earth, Jesus Christ the righteous, we have him saying, and beside me there is no Savior. That angel announced, Behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy, for unto you is given in the city, uh, born in the city of David, is the Savior. The Savior is here. And in Isaiah 45, just a couple of chapters more here, in the book of Isaiah chapter 45, we hear this prophecy made about the Lord, and truly it is a statement about His Saviorship. That he is the Savior and no other Savior. In the book of Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 15, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself. 
O God of Israel, the Savior. Oh, this one that is a Savior. It is so important that we know Him as Savior. He is the one that liberates us. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that delivers us. He is the victorious Savior. He delivers His people from their sin. And He gives us the great victory in Himself, in His person, in His salvation. In Isaiah chapter 45, again in verse 21, the Scripture shall Tell ye and bring them near. Let them take counsel together, who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior, and there is none beside me. There is no other Savior. All of the gods of Israel that they worshipped, all the gods of all of the other countries put together, couldn't have an ounce of salvation in them, but there is only one Savior, and that is the one that came. He was announced in the Old Testament that He's coming, and now He's here. He's been on this earth. He's done exactly what He said He would do while He was here. And then in Isaiah 49, would you turn there with me to Isaiah 49, and we read this other wonderful passage of Scripture, Isaiah 49 and verse 26. This prophet again was led by the Holy Spirit, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood as the sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. He is so mighty he can save. He is a Savior that can save, and he's a Redeemer that can redeem. There it tells us that the Lord am thy Savior, and only Savior, and thy Redeemer. And you know the church absolutely, without reservation, trusts Him for all their salvation. Nothing else. No church membership, no observance of, of communion or baptism enter into it. We do that thing to be obedient to the Lord, but it doesn't change our position with God one iota. We are he is the Savior, He's the Redeemer, and He's the Mighty One of Israel. God, who had come to the earth before, but not as a Savior. When He came to Abraham, He spoke to him. He came to Noah, He spoke to him. He came to Moses, He spoke to him. He came and spoke to, to Adam in the garden, and other instances that He came to this earth. But now, He's been announced in His coming to be the Savior. He's the one, the promised one. He's always been a Savior. He's an eternal Savior. But when He came and visited those folks in the Old Testament, it was nothing like He came in the days that we read about there in the book of Luke. He came incarnate. He came as God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. And He had a mission to carry out in the short time He was upon this earth. He is, the, he is God's chosen Savior. He's God's ordained Savior. And He's God's anointed Savior. So we have Him as the only Savior. Certain of God's writers of the New Testament were impressed by uh, to write some blessed things about someone is here. And we direct your attention over to the book of Acts at this moment. In the book of Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read several verses of this chapter because it's so valuable. It shares with us as the Apostle Paul was preaching by invitation, by providence, by God's decree, he's preaching here in Acts chapter 13. 
And let's go there to Acts chapter 13, and we want to start reading with verse 14. And it tells us here that Paul and his group had left uh, Pergia and came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, notice here what's read, and it's going to be brought out later in this chapter. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So here we have these men invited by God's divine providence. We have the Apostle Paul invited by divine providence. And these people are, bring it out. If you have something to say to us, please say it. And then it tells us in verse 16, And Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. You know, all those guys that were there said they feared God. And, and Paul brings that out. But we're going to find out they didn't fear God. They were afraid of God. They were afraid of his law. They didn't know grace. And uh, it says here that, that uh, in verse 17, And the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers. He brings up the wonderful subject of election. It is so uh, apparent as he talked with Noah, as he talked to uh, Abel, as he talked in giving what needed to be as a sacrifice. It's so apparent as we look through the scriptures that the Bible teaches us so much about election. And if it wasn't for God dealing with us in the covenant of grace and determining to save a people, no one would be saved because we are so dead in trespasses and sin that we'd just never come to him. We need that outside brought to us. We need God brought to us. We need that salvation from above, that birth from above. God chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high hand brought he them out of it. How glorious this is. It is the Lord that brought them out. It was not them. And then it tells us in verse 18 about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. Well, we just look at that experience as brought out in the book of Numbers. Uh, the experience of, of Israel, national Israel in the wilderness. How many died in the wilderness in unbelief. Their bad manners. And then verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations, God again comes out and declares what he's in charge of. He's in charge of this. In the land of Canaan, he divided their land uh, to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges. God gave them judges. It's God that did that. And uh, for 450 years until Samuel the prophet and afterward, they desired a king, and God gave them unto them Saul, the son of Sis, the man of the tribe of Benjamin, for the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, God removed him. He raised up unto them David to be their king, whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed, someone's coming. Someone's coming of this man's seed hath God, according to promise, raised unto Israel a Savior. Someone's coming. Now someone is here. He has been brought. He's a Savior. And he gives us his name. I can just see a bunch of those Jews, those people so important in religion, 
sucking in their breath when he mentioned the name of the Savior, Jesus. They knew exactly who he was talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. While when John had first preached before his coming and baptism of repentance and all the people of Israel, uh, uh, to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. I am not him. I am not the Messiah. I am one to announce him. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes on his feet I am not worthy to lose. Someone is here. I'm going to tell you, someone is here. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew not him, excuse me, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath day. What had just taken place in this synagogue before the floor was turned over to, to Paul. They had read the prophets. They had read the law and the prophets. And here it is, bringing it up. They read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desire they Pilate that he should be slain. Someone is coming. Someone is here. Now he's going to fulfill exactly what he came to do. He did not come to this earth to set up an earthly kingdom. He spoke out against that a number of times. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's in our hearts. He had no interest. He had no intention of setting up an earthly kingdom. That is man-made religion. That's man's interpretation. But the Lord never said that. He never brought that subject up. None of the other prophets of the New Testament, none of the other preachers of the New Testament, none of the other apostles of the New Testament ever brought that subject up. It's just man-made fiction. Oh, to just have the plain view of the scriptures is that someone's coming, someone's here, and someone's coming back. Well, here, he raised him from the dead. This one that came accomplished his exact purpose, and that was he redeemed his people. He laid down his life a ransom for many and went to the grave. He was in the tomb for three days and three nights, and that glorious day he came out of the tomb as promised because he had fulfilled all the scripture, and he had also taken care of all the sin of all his people. None was left behind. None was with, with, with a, even a tent or tinge of sin. He'd taken care of it. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. Then he raised up Jesus again, as it was also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. As Paul looks at the Old Testament, that's all he had to read from in that day and that time. He went back there and says, Someone's coming, but someone is here, and this is what he's going to do when he's here. And as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead, verse 34. No, now no more to return to the corruption. He said, on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Everything that God had ever declared in the Old Testament. Remember what David said in his last words? He hath made with me an everlasting covenant. And God does that when he quickens us, shares us the gospel. And it took place in the Old Testament. It's continuing to take place under the New Testament economy. 
It is having great joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. You know, I take stock sometimes in a verse of Scripture like this because sometimes I just can't remember where a passage of Scripture is and I can say, in another psalm. That's what this uh, Paul did. And verse 36, And for David, after he had served his own generation, and that's all he could do, is serve his own generation. That's all you can do. Serve your generation. Serve it the best you can. And it says, Serve his own generation by the will of God, fell in sleep, and was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. By the will of God, fell on sleep. That's what's going to happen when God calls us home. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. But it be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Oh, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Shall be all to all people. This good tidings of great joy, what is it? He preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. How could God forgive sin? How can be a just and justifier? Someone had to pay for that sin. And we find that God promised his only begotten son to take care of that problem. And his son came, as we read about in Luke chapter 2, his son came, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the appointed time, his son went to the cross. And in his death on the cross, he bore our sins completely away. Beware, verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest you come unto us, which was spoken of the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and behold, and, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall nowise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Isn't that our natural state? If we don't have the Holy Spirit come to us after the gospel is brought to us, it just goes off of us like water on a duck's back. And the Jews, when they had gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought these words might be preached uh, to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Don't get hung up on the law. It's been done away in Christ. Continue in the grace of God. Now, we find that the the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to write to those churches in Galatia and bring up the point, you've fallen from grace. You're not having grace. Grace is so much in importance here. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And the next Sabbath day, come almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. The Jews, the religious leaders, they have a problem with this. They envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, to we... Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. What is that message that Paul was going to bring? Behold, I bring you 
good tidings of great joy. He has taken care of the sin issue. He has brought forgiveness of sin. Now in verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Oh, they realized as the Holy Spirit revealed it to them in this regeneration that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that is here, the promised seed that would come and take care of the problem. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Oh, thank God for that wonderful statement that is brought out there in verse 48. It was not up to these people to come up with enough belief. It is in our faith. It's where our faith is placed. It's placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is that God had to be involved before the foundation of the world. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, we read a wonderful passage without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Let's read the rest of that as it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. These wonderful words are brought out. It just shares with us there is, there is no way that we can wrap our whole head around all that this passage means. But it does cause us to rejoice and we find such peace and such hope in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ not only was promised to come, someone is coming, but he was promised and came. He came to this earth without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. It is a mystery revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. He's here. He is here. He came to fulfill his purpose, and that was to lay down his life, a ransom for many on the cross. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory, without controversy. Who is this Savior? Jesus Christ, the Lord, united with Jesus the man. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. And also in the book of Revelation, it tells us about in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the promised one, the one that was promised to come. The gospel, good tidings of great joy. The Savior, Christ the Lord. I bring you good tidings of great joy. The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has put away sin. The promised one that is able to deal with the problem, we are in the fall. The fall is the problem. And we cannot take care of it. We're dead in trespasses and sin. But for our final reading, would you join me in the book of Hebrews? Someone has come. Someone has come. He came and did exactly what he had purposed to do. He did die on the cross. He did uh, take upon uh, our sin. He, our sin was imputed to him, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Oh, the very uh, transaction that was fulfilled on the cross is so glorious, and yet we as, as men and women, boys and girls, were not able to comprehend all that was there. In fact, God the Father shut off the daylight for that season while he was there, as he had all our sin placed upon him. What, what a condition he was in. And then 
He died, dying for our sin. Well, here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and there in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Now this Christ in the New Testament is the Messiah in the Old Testament, the Anointed One. And that's Jesus. That's the Lord Jesus. Made with hands, which are a figure of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. Oh, it's an ongoing, never-settled business that we find that the priests in the Old Testament, we mentioned this in the past, but it's so apparent as we read passages of Scripture like this, that there was no place for those priests to rest. It was never done. But our Savior, when He went to the cross, He put away sin, as it goes on to tell us, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared, someone's here, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did what no priest in the Old Testament could do. He did what no Pharisee in the New Testament could do. He died to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as... It is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now that just leads us into next Sunday's message. The Lord willing, if he gives us strength to do it, we'd like to finish this three-part series with this message, someone's coming back. The Old Testament, someone's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, someone's here. And look what he did. Look how he saved his people. He went back to glory victorious. And then from Acts to Revelation, someone's coming back. We're going to look at this looking only at the Scriptures we don't want any preconceived ideas here. We want to look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures have to say. But here we have in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. He shall appear, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Well, God bless you. And until next time we're able to gather together, may he look after us, guide us, and direct us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.